All right, I see some folks following already. Uh, welcome back to Calling Shots. Uh, uh, my probably my last show before the Fourth of July, but uh, wanted to uh, get someone on to help uh, review the draft. I mean, it seems like we we move on so quickly to free agency. Uh, obviously, the Jalen Brunson news was 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 a big one yesterday. Um, but I wanted to talk with someone who has come to sort of come to my attention recently. Uh, great recommendation from friend of the show Nate Duncan. Uh, Keandre Ashley, uh, Hoop Intellect, uh, puts out some some really great uh, kind of pre-draft uh, um, scouting reports on a lot of the, on, on the top prospects uh, prior to the draft. Wanted to, to have him on to get his thoughts on on sort of how the draft shook out and what it means for these guys going forward. So, uh, Keandre, thanks for thanks for joining me. Yeah, I pr- really appreciate you for for having me on. So I, I I don't want to take up too much time, but just like how did how did it, you know. How did it come about that you you uh, kind of the draft space is interesting in that there's uh, a lot of people have have sort of made themselves into into you know scouts basically give, with the uh, you know the greater availability of video than there has been in the past. So you know how did that happen for you? Yeah, so I mean over over the course of the years I was you know really interested in the draft and it was something I kind of always followed as a fan and everything and then. I did some writing as I got into college on a draft. And then about 2020, I decided to kind of take all of that stuff and put it into video form. And, you know, this is kind of long story short, because during that kind of time where I created the YouTube channel, I was just kind of teaching myself how to, you know, use Adobe Premiere and and Photoshop and like actually make decent content. Um, So in 2020, I decided to put that stuff into the video form made the scouting reports and then it really kind of just took off from there. And then at that point I just, you know, kept trying to get better at and improve at certain things and improve the quality of the content. And obviously the, um, the actual like scouting stuff and the basketball stuff. So that's really the, the super short version of, um, sure. of how I kind of got there. And then, yeah, it's just, it's just been uh interesting ride from, from there. I, I'm really glad you put it that way, just because I mean it's it's sort of two things really. It's it's like there's the scouting bit, and then you know you called it content, but then there's the communication of that. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people who this is you know I'm more in the analytics space. Certainly something that there's a there's more people who can kind of do the analysis than communicate it to people in a way that makes sense. And right. you know, and I. I think you would agree with me that that like that part has been probably more important almost than the than the you know well, I grind a lot of tape and have opinions on players. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an interesting thing to kind of you know put together because um, just putting all those getting all those ideas into a like palatable and concise video is is really difficult because you can you can. With writing, you can go anywhere you want. You can add one clip there and explain it for for a long time. And kind of with the videos, it's it's a little bit different, more difficult to navigate and, and um, you know make high quality stuff. But yeah, that's kind of the the thing I've been really working at most over the course of, of my time doing the channel. So, general question before we we, we dive into this draft, um, what are what are you looking for? In, in, in players um, 
I know that's a very broad question, but you know, yeah. some some people are like, who's the best player now? Who has the most upside? They're, these are all very sort of nebulous concepts. But I feel like understanding where you're coming from in terms of what you think, what what's the thing that makes you put someone number one versus number three, basically? Yeah. So I mean, for specific things, it, you know, it kind of varies from team to team, like the the situation that they're in. Um, you would look for for many different things in a player. Um, but, like, in a kind of a vacuum, in a general sense, it's like I'm looking for the players who can make the most plays possible on both ends offensively, specifically, um, either whether that's, you know, scoring the ball, um, making plays for other people, and then also, you know, defensively making plays on that end and also not having a, a certain area that's going to be a liability, whether that's um, – you know, a lack of shooting in a way that, you know, might be might hamper them going forward or defensively. If you're a five eleven guard who can't, you're just gonna get you know hunted on on mismatches in 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 the pick and roll. A lot of the time, you know, those are kind of certain aspects of the game that I would, you know, value pretty heavily. But yeah, so it really in a vacuum is just like who can make the most plays and and play a specific role the best is what I would kind of boil it down to. Um, and then at the top, at the top of the draft, it's um, like, that's part of the reason I had Paulo number one kind of going into it. Didn't know if that would actually happen, but that was kind of the justification for that. Sure. No, that, that makes sense. Um, sort of ask a general question. This is something that sort of bedevils me all the time is it's, it's, you know, in the draft, you're not like, okay, you're kind of who can play in the NBA now, but who can play the way the NBA is going to be in five years? And um, so how do you, like, you know, how do you approach that? Yeah, it's it's an interesting relationship, too. You know, there's certain indicators that I think you would look for. Um, Obviously, size and athleticism, depending on the position of the player and, um, you know, ability to contribute in at least – one way at a really high level, whether that's defensively, you know, knocking down spot up shots, um, just being able to to find a role, um, and then you know you have the, the the younger guys like the kind of the upside swings or, or things like that, where um, a lot of times you're just kind of looking for a lot of those elements and then the potential for them to kind of grow certain aspects of the game, like maybe they've shown certain things. Um, as a playmaker and defender, but, you know, the shot isn't quite there yet, but they, you know, have some indicators from the free throw line or, you know, have a, a high rate in, in the mid range or, you know, solid mechanics. Like there's just kind of a lot that goes into it in specific situations um, that kind of put one prospect above the other, sure. but it's kind of a, you know, um, a case by case thing in my opinion. Sure. And uh- you know, you, you, you've been doing this, you've only been doing this seriously for, you know, a, a few years, but have you, have you come upon a, a situation where it's like, you know, if this was, if this was 2020, I'm not sure I'd have him this high or I'd have him much higher, but the way the game has changed at the NBA level since, like, maybe not anymore. That's an interesting, that's an interesting question. I've never really thought about that. Um, hmm. I don't know if it's changed there's quite not enough. A good, there's in not the a last good answer to years. it. Yeah, I don't know if it's changed quite enough in the last two years uh, or two or three years or whatever. But maybe like 
we start getting into like the 2015, 16 range where, you know, um, it starts being a little bit more of a contrast and like what we've seen the Warriors do Draymond and um, kind of the way that the game is played and spaced out a little bit more um, that I think there would be something there, but I can't really think of one off the top of my head. No, I can tell, I can tell you that from like a draft modeling standpoint, it's like, all right, how much does a, does a player who was drafted in 2008 and has, and has like his prime year started in 2013, how relevant is, is he to a 2022 college player? Like that's, right. there's, there's no good answer to that. And that's sort of a, a uh, so I'm always curious about like, you know, all right, are you, are you looking for guys who can help you win like the last finals or the next finals? It's always a, yeah. it's always a funny one. Um, so let's get into this year's draft. Yeah, I know you had you had you had Paulo number one, and I think that you know based on your you know your description of what you know matters to you, I think I, I, like that seems like it flows very naturally. Um, you know, compared with with uh, you know Chet Holmgren and, and, and Jabari Smith. Yeah, for sure. That's that's kind of the the thing with him, and then even you go back to Cade Cunningham, like kind of splitting those hairs with him and Evan Mobley, and then. Back another year, you've got Lamelo Ball and Anthony Edwards kind of sitting at the top there. So yeah, that's really kind of what it was for me. So loaded question because you know, my favorite guy in the draft was Jaden Ivey. So like, mm. how much of uh, like it, it, it was was there just too big a, a kind of an overall difference? Or let me start with this: Where did you have Jaden Ivey? And if he didn't break into kind of that top three, was it just there's too big an overall difference? Or or was there there, or are you just not seeing him as as someone who is going to be that kind of playmaker? He was at number four for me, kind of in that that top tier, just right there with Jabari Smith. Um, I think, you know, there's a there's a good amount of work to be done for him, like kind of in the half court, just being able to, um, you know, hit pull up jumpers, you know, play with a little bit more pace in the pick and roll, and continue to to work on that floater and actually be somebody who is more of a reliable secondary playmaker, um, potentially getting into that primary. But, you know, you look at his first step and what he's able to do in transition and um, some of the defensive potential, if we can get him to be more consistent on that. And, like, he's one of those guys who deserves to be in that um, top tier of this class, in my opinion, and that's why he was at four. Um, but just, you know, some of those things I think he still continues needs to continue to work on. Um, continuing to, to be a little bit more consistent from three. Uh, you saw him tail off towards the, the back end of the season. So um, just those are the main things. I He sort of, because it, it's been noted that, that, like, he's maybe behind skill developmentally than you might see from a lot of, like, top-level sophomores. Um I wonder how much we're going to see a little bit of that kind of over, you know, last year, this year, maybe a year on the road, just because of there being kind of a gap where guys kind of played less basketball for, you know, about 18 months. Yeah, it's been a really interesting thing to kind of track, even going back to like the 2020 draft, like the no summer league, no off season really because of the you know expedited um, thing with the bubble and everything. It's just been a, a very weird thing to kind of project forward um, because there's just so much unpredictability. And even going into like high school, like the high school rankings were kind of thrown off of the 2021 class, um, not being able to see them in their full EYBL and, and other AAU circuit runs. It's kind of something that 
we'll have to to see what happens out of this and kind of look back at as just kind of a one-off time, hopefully. My my theory is that we're going to see a lot more kind of explosive development players uh, just because they, they're, they're getting those reps. I don't want to say for the first, but they're yeah. getting, they're getting those reps and maybe there's even some bad habits that don't have to be unlearned. Yeah, for sure. I would, I would definitely agree with that. And just being in, especially for, for Ivy being in Detroit, this was the, like the best case scenario in my opinion, being able to play off a of Cade and attack some of those advantages off of a, a shifted defense and not having to, be relied on to like be the point guard or the table setter or, or things like that. I think this is the perfect situation for him and that, um, and they have the, the timeline to be able to make those mistakes and everything and not have that pressure. So um, for him, especially, I think this is, this could end up making him that top guy in the end. And, and, and also like Cade is Cade though. He is a, you know, an on ball guy is willing and able to get off the more mm-hmm. than, than, than some re- So he won't like Iden won't be Ed Iden. Uh, Ivy won't be <laughs> won't be like relied upon to do that, but he'll get chances. He'll yeah. get opportunities for sure. Um. So who are like who are some guys who you thought you know it's it's always you, you, it, it's always tough to talk about this because you, you're you're happy for the kid, but at the same time you're like mm, I don't know who are some guys you thought that maybe went a little earlier than you would have taken them. And then who are, who are conversely some guys you thought slipped more than they should have? Um, so on the earlier side, I think Jeremy Sohan at nine to San Antonio. Um, I actually really liked the Spurs for him specifically. I thought that was the best case scenario. So, and the Spurs are always, you know, going to do whatever they, they feel like the, the consensus is um, not something that they really ever abide by. But, um, and he, he, even then, like, there's only a, a few other players I really would have considered in that spot over him uh, because I did like him there so much, um, like an A.J. Griffin or, or a Jalen Duran. But that's that's potentially one. And then, like, as far as, like, situations go, you know, the Johnny Davis one in in Washington, D.C. could be a little bit tricky with, you know, the whole Bradley Beal situation going on. Um You've got they just made the trade for Will Barton and and Monte Morris, so um, that could be just you know just a little bit trickier than maybe some other ones. But overall, this class doesn't have as many of those kind of you know Davion Mitchell's in, in at number nine or the um, you know the situation that Book Knight was in last year, kind of with Rozier already there. You got Lamelo and Monk was still in the balance at the time. Um, so that's, that's really what I have on there. I thought that was just, you know, a little bit higher than I thought, but also being able to trade back at that point of the draft is, is pretty difficult. So I didn't particularly mind it. So I, you know, can we, can we spend a couple minutes on, on Johnny Davis? I, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll admit up front that, you know, living in Milwaukee, I'm biased against anyone coming out of Wisconsin, <laughs> Uh, not because, you know, I, I, first of all, I'm probably more on the Marquette side of that divide anyway, but also, um, you know, when I was scouting games, I went to Wisconsin games a lot and those aren't the always, especially enjoyable games (laughs) (laughs) given their style of play. So, 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 but let's, you know, let's give him a fair shake. Like, what is it about the Washington situation that makes that 
a tough spot for him and what does he need to improve at to kind of make it right? Well, I just think, you know, in comparison to some of the other guys, um, even in or in and around that situation, you have Bradley Beal. Well, actually before it, I, I didn't like before the Monte Morris trade, I didn't like it as much because they didn't have really a, a point guard other than an Ish Smith there. Um, so Beal was going to have to probably play the one. He's going to be penciled in there at the two. It wasn't, you know, the, the worst thing. But just the the relationship of that team kind of not having a, a certain direction and, you know, it's p- potentially easy for them to – for him to get lost in there. And then you have rumors about Brogdon being the trade there. And um, if Beal signs long-term there, you, you're going to want to win at certain at some point. So, he, you know, again, like his development might be um, put on the back burner in, in some way. And for him specifically, you know, we've seen – that Wisconsin team, the style of play was was pretty. It was a pretty tough watch. Um, the spacing was um, not ideal, and he was having to to create every single thing. He even took a lot of bad shots in the process, so it was kind of hard to really take a lot of some substantial things out of that situation that he was in. Um, in some of those shots, in the the volume of, of mid ranges, but he's going to have to extend his game a little bit. I did really like what he does defensively. I think that can be his calling card for a team like this who needs that on that end of the floor, and it could help him, you know, see the floor, you know, early and often. But just in comparison, it's not necessarily that it's the the Davion situation where you have Tyrese Halliburton and De'Aaron Fox um, there when he gets there for your ninth pick. That's like not uh, an ideal situation. It's just more in comparison to like the Ben Matherins or. Um, the Dyson Daniels, where there's like a key, uh, a certain area that they can immediately step into and, and affect and grow their game in. Just, just an like an obvious way where right. know, they'll get opportunities. Like it was just, I was just, uh, you know, com- like comparing to Zaire Williams last year, like getting, yeah. like finding a spot where it wasn't always, you know, he wasn't always effective in year one, mm-hmm. but, he, he, but you know, they were able to put him in a spot where. You know, he had the ability to, I don't want to say the ability to fail, but the ability to take his lumps and learn and without it, like, torpedoing the team. Yeah, for sure. And and also being in that winning situation at the same time, even as he struggled, he still got those consistent minutes and was had, you know, a little bit of a longer leash until they, you know, got further down in the season and were in the playoffs. But, yeah, the, a situation like that is is ideal for a lot of prospects. I just think with kind of the – the whole situation around the Wizards at the moment, it just it could just be a little bit weird for for him. I don't I'm not really sure what direction they're going in. So I think there's I mean, there's a few players who, you know, you could you probably could say that about. I mean, you know, the the Jaden Ivey not going for um yeah. cert, he certainly seemed happy about that. Um <laughs> So that I mean, there's sort of an interesting question there about like how much of how much of it is what the guy comes to the draft with, and how much of it is what he and the team kind of do from there. In, in the in, sense in, of like in terms of a guy, you know, however you want to define it, making it, you know, reaching their potential, exceeding what we. Th- Sorry about that. My phone rang. 
Um, <laughs> um, um, I was just, I was going to say in, in terms of, of, you know, hitting their potential, making it as a player, especially for guys, you know, drafted later on where so many guys don't, um, you know, even going, you know, progressing to the point, uh, to a point farther than, you know, we thought that they were going to be able to. Um, yeah. I think that a lot of that is just on the team, really like having the confidence in a certain prospect and allowing them to have that, um, that wiggle room. Because otherwise, some of those guys who are drafted more later in the in the draft uh, probably need to bring something to the table and kind of surprise you. Whether it's a a guy like Herb Jones who works his way onto the court defensively and it becomes like somebody you need to have out there at all times because of what he can do there, um, and then was also uh, exceeded expectations as a shooter too, which was kind of important. Um, but yeah, it just kind of depends on on the organization and giving them some of that space to grow, um, depending on where they were they were picked. Yeah, that's it's it's always like, is this team not good at drafting, or are they not good at everything that comes afterwards? Right. Yeah, that, it's probably some of both. Like you, you know, the it, it, team like the Lakers, like they have a lot of young players who are interesting, and then they go other places and suddenly become very good. <laughs> like that—that that seems like an example to me of of just obvious case where there's a there's a, a split there. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of that, you know, LeBron got thrown in there, and then it threw everything off for them. You know, Brandon Ingram's yeah. game. Um, obviously, Lonzo kind of complimented LeBron a little bit better when he was healthy. The injuries threw everything off there too. But um, that's definitely something. You know, when you don't have when something gets thrown in there. Um, that can throw off everybody's timeline and development and things like that. Sure. So you mentioned you mentioned Herb Jones. So he is there's there's an expression that I like to use. There there are guys who are extremely like my guys kind of players. And I'm going to list some of them off, mm-hmm. and you 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 kind of tell me who from you know especially the kind of post lottery who from this year I should be looking forward to becoming one of my guys in the future. So. Like the we're we're talking about you know Herb Jones, uh, uh, Grant Williams, Kenrich Williams. Um, let me see the uh, Drew Hall. Like Drew Holiday is probably like the the very top top end version of that. Yeah. But sort of the the um, guys who are just like I don't know I don't know how else to put it, but the guys who just make basketball yeah. plays. You know. Yeah. I don't. Like they don't, they don't, they aren't even necessarily like stat plays. Um, yeah, so kind of in that same same realm, I would say a guy like Jake Laravia going to Memphis, um, somebody who kind of fills in at that four spot, could possibly potentially play the three a little bit. You know, really versatile defender, somebody who guarded a lot of different positions and players at Wake Forest in the ACC. Um, he can knock down, you know, spot up threes and potentially do a little bit more um, attack closeout. He was a big time playmaker for them. Not sure how much of that he'll do there in, in Memphis, but we'll kind of see how that grows and develops. Um, but he's one of those guys who just makes winning plays. Like that's the biggest appeal from him. It might not be, you know, the the step back threes or, you know, the flashiest type of plays, but I always felt like he was going to make the play that that swung the game last year and and really made 
Wake Forest competitive until they dropped that game in the ACC tournament, they would have probably made the the made March Madness otherwise. Um, but yeah, he's one of those guys. I would say uh, Christian Brown going to Denver. That's one of my favorite landing spots for him specifically. I think you know playing off of Jokic, he brings a, a tenacity to the game, energy. You saw that if you watched uh, March Madness with KU winning the national championship. Um, defensively on the wing, nice cutter, play well off of Jokic. Um, I think, you know, the, his three-point shot will determine some of that, but he's one of those kind of guys who, who always manages to make winning plays. And I'd say Marjan Bochamp uh, from the G League Ignite, kind of in that same realm as well. Um, and especially going with Milwaukee, who has had, um, you know, needed some some help on the wing you know, over these last couple of years. They've been relying on Pat Connaughton an awful lot. Um, not that he's not a, you know, a solid player, but I mean, Pat Connaughton qualifies as, you know, we, right. we stunned Pat Connaughton when I was there. So I'm, I'm going to actually obligated to say Pat Connaughton is <laughs> one of my guys, but yeah. Um, no, I, yeah. I, there's, there's, I can say like living here, there's, there's, there's a pretty decent amount of excitement. Yeah, for sure. I, I really like what he brings to the table. Um, and he really kind of changed his game, right? So in high school, he was known as more of a of a scorer type of guy, and um, even going into JUCO and his kind of weird path, he put up some some ridiculous stats, um, averaged over like thirty a game, and um, you know even had like some pull ups and things of that nature. But once he got to the ignite with the guys like Scoot Henderson, Jaden Hardy, Dyson Daniels, he changed his game, figured out how to affect the game in the biggest ways, and and still managed to to average fifteen a, a night. Um, off of cuts and in transition and, and just finding his way next to to those guys. So I think you put him in there with, you know, Giannis, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, and he figures it out and, and really helps them for a team that I still think is at the top of the, the mountain, in my opinion, going into next year, um, if, if health willing. Yeah, no, just, I mean, it's it's a team that's probably in the playoffs has, over the last three, four years has – Maybe uh, like it's it's funny to say this about a team with Giannis, but maybe lacked a little bit of 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 sort of athletic pop. Yeah, little, and and it seemed like uh, someone who has the size and and sort of burst to to certainly give some of that at sort of the. I mean, he's at the at a kind of a big forward position. For sure, and he gives him a little bit more versatility too. You throw him out there with Drew, Chris Middleton, Giannis. Like already, you're in a pretty. Um, you know, a pretty big lineup and, and, you know, what Drew brings to the table and obviously Giannis on the back end. So um, I'm excited to see that for sure. Uh, who are like, so who are some of the other like less heralded guys who you think have a chance? Like, again, you get past about pick 16, 17, 18, and really only one out of every three or getting into the second round, one out of every six or seven are actually yeah. going to be NBA players. So it's, you know, you're, like not expecting all of these guys to pan out, but who do you think has a chance like coming from, from the back end there? Yeah. So I think there, there are a few. Um, I think we can start in trying to decide here. There's, there's a, there's a couple, I think Max Christie potentially in LA, I think he might be a year away or so from, from actually, you know, contributing, um, but at six seven, he was a he was a really impressive defender for Michigan State this year, and I did not expect that coming in. He was more of that kind of scoring guy. Um, 
and he didn't shoot it great from three. I think he shot 32%, but mechanically he's there, you know, did some things off movement, has great balance, footwork. Um, so I buy it in, in that sense as well. But just being that kind of three and D sort of wing and then with the ability to, um, you know, hit dribble pull-ups, one, two dribble pull-ups and, and affect the game that way. I like him um, as a potential guy. Um, and then, you know, Jaden Hardy from the G League Ignite fell all the way to 37. I was, you know, fairly high on him. Now, he, he wasn't the most efficient this year, but over the course of the year, he really grew and you started to see him eliminate some of those bad habits that he kind of, you know, gained over over the course of his high school career and started to to, to be a little bit more malleable and someone who could fit within an NBA offense a little bit better, in my opinion. Um, and I think that going to, to Dallas with Luka Doncic there to be one of the, the best playmakers in the game and uh, – multiple facets and with Brunson possibly leaving, there's a spot for him to, to potentially give them a boost offensively. So he'd be definitely one of them. My guys after that 16, 17, 18, you know, range. And I was shocked to, to see that he fell all the way down to 37. Sure. No, I, it's funny. Yeah, Cause I was, I, I talked a lot about the Mavericks yesterday because of, uh, because of, 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 of Brunson likely at this point, we have to say leaving. Um, yeah. And it, it seems like like that's almost seems like a double edged sword because like it's uh, he's going to get an opportunity, but it's like oh this is the guy who's supposed to replace the guy we we were too cheap to sign. It's <laughs> yeah. that's, that's that's a lot. That's, it is that's unfair expectations for a guy yeah. in the thirties. The, the expectations might be a, a little a little large, especially for a team that got to the Western Conference Finals. Um, but I think if he can stay in there and, and continue to work defensively, obviously Jay Kidd has a kind of an emphasis on that and what they did this year. Um, that'll be probably a, a determining factor in how much he gets out there. But um, just being able to – his catch and shoot numbers were great, even with some of the inefficiency. So I'm excited to see what he becomes. And hopefully, you know, that the outside noise doesn't affect him too much um, – and he's not slotted as, you know, this is the Brunson uh, replacement as the 37th pick, you know? Sure. I, I, you know, that's a, it's a good spot to ask about this in terms of, of, you know, it seems like it's a tough evaluation spot for the guys who go G league ignite, the guys who go to mm-hmm. the NBL. Uh, it hasn't happened. I don't think it's really seen like it's happened in a while, but you know, someone who goes straight from high school to Europe for a year. Um, those seem like especially hard kind of guys to evaluate in those environments. Yeah, for sure. It's There's a lot of factors you kind of have to weigh and juggle and look at the other teams, the competitions that they're playing. Um, also rely a little bit on what they did previously. I mean, just kind of added, put it all together. I think with this Ignite team, though, being that they weren't the the first team that we saw, it gives you a little bit more confidence in what was going on. Like had Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga not, you know, been effective in, in any in any way, I think that would have changed the way we looked at them completely. But you still have Dyson Daniels going going eighth and then Marjan going twenty fourth. Um I think that there's, you know, a little bit easier of a pathway to kind of evaluate them specifically. Now the NBL gets a little bit trickier. Um, overtime elite is a whole nother thing. Um, 
and some of the other, you know, alternative routes are kind of growing. We're getting more of a, of a reference point on a lot of them. So it's just kind of a, a combination of things. And until we get to see even like Patrick Baldwin Jr. deciding to go to Milwaukee this year, that was kind of an alternative route in itself for a five-star guy of, of his caliber. So just kind of getting all these different reference points in the modern um, NBA is, is going to help in the long run, I think. What do, what do you think of OTE? Yeah. So, you know, I think, at times, there, it can feel like there's a little bit more of an emphasis on the like social media and the look of it than actually what's going on. I think there's some a lot of potential there, and um, especially with their own like the their own people that they recruit and the three teams that they have. But as long as they're playing against um, what's basically prep schools and and not even you know the top prep schools at that. I think it's really difficult to to gauge them unless it's the the guys like the Thompson twins who we've seen for a couple of years and have these outlier athletic abilities um, and are a little bit safer evaluations and bets than you know the guys like Yam Montero and Don Barlow who are you know a little bit more on the fringes. Um, so I think there's some potential there for sure, and they more than have the the funding, the resources, and everything. Have a great arena down there um, in Atlanta, but it's kind of it's gonna it's gonna take some years, I think, for them to really get established, um, and and be one of those players like the NBL or the Ignite. I mean, it seems almost the exact opposite. Like the, I think the positive team with with like the thing with the Ignite, like NBL is different because like there's the like the travel and the and, and cultural differences and stuff like that that make it even like more of a thing. But like G League Ignite, like you're you're throwing these guys in at the deep end, and and you know seeing how well they swim, you know not just two levels of competition, and it seems like OTE is is almost protecting players, and it's not necessarily doing them any favors in the eyes of evaluators by doing so. Yeah, for sure. I I, I see a lot of that, and just kind of the the situations that they're put in, and maybe the construction of the team. But you know, this is the first year for them yeah. too, so it's kind of a, a learning process. I think as we see next year and the year after that, we'll know kind of completely on um, what to make of it. Um, but yeah, it's kind of it's like when you're playing against you know prep schools, it's not the same as playing against. Jordan Poole, as Jalen Green did, or Kevin Porter Jr., as they did that first year, or Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga for this year. Like, that's a that's an entirely different thing um, going on there. So, like I said, just it's kind of a case-by-case basis. I think when we see the Thompson Twins this year, it'll be a little bit more um, wiggle room kind of given to them. But it is a, a very interesting situation to monitor. It's Thompson. Tw- I'm I'm old enough that Thompson Twins makes me think of bad '80s music and, <laughs> and teen movies. But, but yeah. I, um, um, so I uh, one more specific question to ask you about player to ask you about, um, and then I I, I got a, I got a few general ones. Um, and folks who are listening, uh, like if you got if you got questions for for Cal, it would be uh, like uh, I'm sure he'd love to hear them. Um, Shaden Sharp. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's my question. <laughs> Shady Sharp, yeah. Um, man, this is this is a 
something that is going to be very, very interesting to watch, especially in Portland. Um, when that they're seems kind a of... weird spot for him to land. I'll th- right. Because uh, it seems like they they seem like they are like they were a little bit at a crossroads in terms of where they're going to be as a franchise, and they picked all right. Let's we're gonna we're gonna you know put put the put a, a group around Dame and and make one more shot at this. Yeah, the reason I think I like it a little bit is because that potentially. I mean, obviously it's a seventh pick, so that's really high. Um, but potentially you'll have a little patience and get to learn from guys like Dame and Anthony Simons um, and hopefully contribute in, in some way in early on. But somebody who's never played higher level basketball than the Kentucky practices, it's it's kind of a tough thing to expect him to step in and be like immediately effective. Um, but you just you kind of look at his athleticism, some of the scoring potential and um, you understand why he he's a top ten pick, and he was in that area for me. Um, just in in Portland, just with them going to get Jeremy Grant and and saying that you know we're still trying to be competitive with Dame right now. Um, it's not the, the the Detroit situation where it's going to be a lot of room kind of thrown to the fire, or uh, in Oklahoma City where everybody loves to go because they know the pressure is not going to be there and they're going to get the reps. Um, so it, it should be interesting to see how they use him. Is he going to be like the on the Gary Trent type of type of path, or um, you even look at like Anthony Simons, who I think is going to be really good next year. Um, he he was already really good this year, um, at least offensively, of course. Um, and it, it took it took Simons a, a few years. Uh, he was a, a late first round pick, so that's a little bit different in the timeline. Expectations are different. Um, but if it is, if it does take him that that long to be one of those guys, are they going to be able to to withstand that? And is he going to be at all affected by you know what kind of comes with that when you are the seventh pick or um, we're so highly publicized? Yeah, and I think my sort of my concern is just you know you know a veteran team and with a with a coach who played on vet laden teams. Like I have to imagine that they're. You know, we get into about January and sort of the, like, the legit, like, go-get-it practices, like, are going to be sparse in Portland. Yeah. And, and it, so so that's that's almost where, um, because you can, you know, you can only sort of, I don't think most NBA teams have figured out how to really navigate the, we're competing, but we're also developing. Like, that's hard. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's a hard focus, and I don't think, I don't think have ever really figured out how to balance that. And this just seems like a team that's going to be down the, we're on Dame's timeline, not Shaden Sharp's pat- timeline. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really the thing. And also just being that this team doesn't, unless they like somehow add somebody that's really going to take them over the top. Um, I don't see Portland as being like a major player in the West either. So um this is just going to be like, a, yeah. They're going to be battling for like you know trying to battle into the sixth seed almost. Yeah, yeah. Like I think that would be even sort of best case scenario. Um, but yeah, so it's just going to be something interesting to, to watch how he's kind of utilized and um, you know he had a lot of lapses defensively. We can't take too much from like EYBL foot, uh, footage from a team that wasn't that great. He was the best player on that team by a sizable margin. So, um, but if he can use some of his athletic tools a little bit better and um, 
be a little bit more of a player defensively, then I think that it might ease his transition a little bit. Sure. Um, so, and and we'll we'll get you out of here in 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 uh, in a couple minutes. But I just I, like it's a constant thing now is the role of the big man in in the NBA, and so this this kind of gets back to a little bit of my my questions at the beginning about like you know how the game is is changing. Like, how do you like a, a player like a a uh, like a Walker Kessler or something or something mm-hmm. or, or this sort of the quote unquote traditional big man. Like, what are you looking for for what the, those guys that are going to make it if they're going to make it? And, you know, how do you, all right, even if he makes it, he's a sometimes food. Yeah. So it's, it's a very d- difficult thing to kind of, you know, weigh with Walker Kessler specifically. I think, you know, you look at his, his, Shot blocking numbers, you know, he was they're off the charts. I think he averaged like five a game. Um, a lot of them coming on the interior, and then you look at some of his stuff out on the perimeter, which was a weaker part of his game. And um, just kind of generally with with the big men, it's like we see every year in the playoffs. Um, if you can't, if you're, if you can't at least be a guy who can get to the level on those screens, it's really difficult to play you unless you're like. Carl Anthony Towns offensively or, um, you know, somebody of that caliber um, that, that kind of eases that on that end. But the the main things I'm looking for are, you know, kind of coverage versatility, at least in like determining the level of, of player that they are. It's coverage versatility in the pick and roll. Um, what you do as a rim protector, the instincts on that end, um, some of the scoring ability and versatility. Can you shoot the three? Are you a, a big time finisher inside? Um, what kind of lob threat are you? Um, is it somebody who's like super explosive? Um, what's the catch radius? Are your hands, you know, great? Um, so it's like kind of a, a number of, of factors that go into, you know, at least being able to. I think like the traditional big in the modern NBA is like a rim runner. So we're looking at, like you know, guys like the. Yeah. So we're looking at guys like even like the. The um, the Robert Williams or Clint Capella's, um, that's that's my um, sort of definition of what the the modern big man looks like now. Nobody's really posting up unless you're Embiid or Jokic. Um, so yeah, that's there's just a number of different factors that you kind of have to weigh in. Um, I guess for for Duran specifically, uh, oh wow, sorry to interrupt, but live news. Uh, the Hawks just traded multiple first-round picks in Danilo Gallinari for Dejounte Murray. <laughs> Didn't think they were actually. This was this deal would actually wow. be done. Wow. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, can I like since this just happened uh, and you're here? Yeah, for uh, sure. Thoughts? <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh I think specifically with Dern. Oh, not Dern. Uh, with Dejounte and. And Trey Young, that'll be interesting to see because both of them are have never really been great off the ball for much different reasons. Um, but Trey Young has also not ever had a guy who's like, hey, give him the ball. Uh, the best option is like, you know, Trey Young to figure it out at most most times. So how Nate McMillan figures that out should be a fun one. And then um, on the side of like the 
four first round picks, I definitely want to see the protections on this because I'm not sure if DeJounte gets them to that next level, like, you know, um, back to the Eastern Conference Finals. But, I, you know, we will see. Uh, this kind of looks a little bit like uh, the Spurs are looking at, uh, at, I don't know, a certain very tall <laughs> Frenchman. Yeah, saying, yeah, I think hmm. so. We've when when has when has getting a a generationally talented big man <laughs> has has that ever served us well? Um, yeah, I, I uh, think they are. They might be trying to recreate a little something down there. Yeah. Um. Wow. That's that's uh. That that surprises me, but uh, it'll be like I, you know, I think it's it's, I think, like as much as Delon Wright kind of gave them last year, I think Dejounte mm-hmm. Murray is like the A plus plus, or at least the A plus version of that. For so I sure, think that's, I think that's a very, very interesting, uh, an interesting pairing. Um, the shooting is obviously for both players, honestly. Like, um, like, like. I think there's no question that Trey has the ability to be a good off-ball shooter. Um, at really no point in his career has he shown the willingness to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Murray, obviously, there's the question of, of you know, like what is what is, what do we, what does he look like as a spot-up threat? But I'm, I, it's uh, it's intriguing to be sure. Yeah, I definitely a, a little bit more interested in what what they do next year. Um, and what they kind of figure out to 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 get both of their strengths out offensively, but you know defensively, I really like that's like perfect for to have somebody next to to Trey Young, and also not having that type of offensive load on Dejounte. I think we see him be more of that um, all defense type of guy. And he took a little bit of a step back uh, last year, as which is you know it's normal for right you know player you know player in the, you know they're in kind of that that mid twenties range as they become a primary offensive guy. The guys like the list of players who can carry a large offensive load and be effective as a primary defender is pretty short. It's like, it's like for perimeter guys, it's like drew holiday and Jimmy Butler and maybe Jason Tatum, depending on what you think Mm -hmm. of his defense and, uh, and, and maybe one or two others, but that's kind of the list right now. Yeah. Right. And I think, you know, you throw like Paul George in there. Um, yeah, that's, that's fair. Yeah. But that's that's really the that's really the list. Wow. Well, it's uh, I'm glad glad I had you here for that, <laughs> that part. Oh, <laughs> uh, is is there anything else you should we you, you think we should uh, you know that that really kind of stuck out about this year's draft? Um, other than kind of a lot of the players that I wanted to end up in certain landing spots, I think, um, you know, just seeing what teams in the twenties decided to do with like a team like Denver going with Christian Brown. And then you've got Memphis taking LaRavia and Roddy. I'm kind of going away from a certain, you know, type of player um, that might maybe had a little bit more like upside offensively or anything, but somebody who could potentially contribute and, and be, um, you know, a complimentary guy was, was interesting to see. It's always interesting to see like where these certain teams go um, in that point of the draft. So, um, yeah, other than that, and also like what we kind of touched on with all the alternative routes that I'm curious to see how these players develop and t- based on their landing spot in the draft, that's really, I think we covered, you know, quite a bit. Well, very cool. I, uh, I appreciate, uh, appreciate taking the time. You want to uh, tell the folks listening, uh, 
uh, you know, a what you you know what what you got coming up where they can find you. Yeah, for sure. You can find me on YouTube at Hoop Intellect. Um, coming up really soon, we will have a summer league preview, kind of going through all the teams and and the, everything from the draft picks to the Exhibit Ten guys to the guys playing from um, a couple years ago in the draft. And then, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, Hoop Intellect, and yeah, I really appreciate you having me on. Absolutely, I am. Uh, I definitely need the uh, the the uh, summer league uh, preview. Although my favorite <laughs> part, of, my favorite part of summer league is the remember some guys aspect of it. It's like, right. uh, oh wow, Christian Ienga's back. That's awesome, <laughs> I remember him. Uh, so yeah, for sure. So it it is so that, that I, and I, I recommend people if they've never been. Uh, Take take a trip down for a day or two of summer league. It's a it's a it's a it's a very it's a very fun part of the NBA calendar. But uh, uh, thank you so much for joining me. This was this was great, and um, I think if if I can, would like to uh, check in with you a few times over the course of next year as we head into uh, the uh, the uh, the vote for Victor. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was the the uh, the vote the the vote for Victor and swoon for Scoot. Yeah, right there. Next year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thank you so much. Thanks, folks, for listening. I am, uh, I think I'll be back on the 4th, actually, with going to be a a celebration with Jake Fisher uh, coming on to talk free agency ins and outs. Uh, A few episodes next week. So uh, thank you for listening and uh, talk to you all then. Take care.